Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Alan Parry podcast, where I talk to fascinating people and then let you listen in. Today, I'm talking to comedy magician Dave Anik. And as well as being a hugely talented performer, Dave is also an expert in social psychology. You see, as a magician, you really need to have good social skills, especially when doing close-up magic at parties and the like. But Dave described himself as a geeky, socially awkward teenager. Here he tells his own story of how he learned to do social interaction with ease and the techniques that he used to bloom into a confident, optimistic young man who treats life as an adventure. Now this show is packed with the very best advice on how to live a fun, fantastic life. So get ready to make some notes would be my advice. Here he is, Dave Anik. I made up that I've uh, I've got you on the show, Dave, because I, I really love your attitude to life, and I want to kind of unpick that once we've spoken about all your magicy stuff. Thanks. Yeah, I really <laughs> I'm really glad you separated magicy stuff and attitude to life because I agree they are very separate things. Oh, are they? I, I wonder whether they're going to be like uh, weaved in together. I had a little <laughs> theory in my mind that they were that you were kind of magic and fun everywhere. Yeah, maybe I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see what the definition is. Okay. Well, you're you're a comedy magician, aren't you? That's kind of like what you do professionally. That's what you're known as. That is that is what I do. Yeah. How did you get into that, Dave? Because it's it's kind of an unusual thing to do. But I can see why it would be quite enchanting. But what what what's your story? Uh, well, um, it's pretty simple. Really. Well, I I was doing magic when I was really really young. Um, How old? I think some of my earliest memories are actually of doing magic tricks i distinctly wow. remember taking a magic kit into primary school on toy day <laughs> and that wasn't even the last year of primary school so i i can't remember how young i was but bloody young um, did you do any of the tricks within the within the set i think so i i really can't remember i really have this like pretty distinct memory of putting a playing card in my shoe for this one trick so i must have thought i could do something yeah but uh but yeah and then i kept doing it a bit on and off mainly to family and sometimes friends but mainly to family like i showed my tricks a lot to my my great grandmother my grandmother my granddad all my family and uh my parents and stuff my sister was sick of it um <laughs> and uh and then i think i started getting a bit more into it again when I got to about 14 or 15 I started taking it a bit more seriously again and sort of enjoying it oh did you have a bit of a lapse did you yeah I think like I think so it's kind of hard to remember like um, I remember doing it when I was very young and then I don't really have any more memories of doing it until I was sort of 15 14, 15 maybe 13 I don't know somewhere around there so maybe between the end of primary school and the start of secondary school I slowed down a bit then I started doing it again and so I did the school talent show and uh and became a little bit known for it in school, not like necessarily as a good magician, just the kid who does card tricks. And then when I went to university, I studied an acting degree, and then I did it more and more and got more into it and started doing little performances like open mic nights and little shows and stuff. And then it really kicked off the day I graduated, the day after I graduated, because Ed and Tommy Croft of Jolly Boat, uh, yeah. my still sort of best friends, um, who I was living with at the time, uh, or we were about to live together, um, they were doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and it was their first year going up, and it was this was literally the day after we graduated, and uh, they were going up to the Edinburgh Fringe, and they said, Dave, we need you to fill 
15 minutes of time in the show <laughs> um and it wasn't like paid or anything but like all of my yeah. accommodation was sorted and my travel and i thought oh this is a free run and so then i was performing one show a day 15 minutes a day on stage performing magic and i'd never really done it with that consistency and that kind of you know in what's the word um no uh, intensity before well i'm and interested that in really that the, go yeah, on, i'm sorry. just gonna yeah i'm gonna stop you there because this is gonna i think this will probably feed into something i'm gonna ask later on but tell me what happened that moment so they've, they've suddenly got yeah. You know, there's 15 minutes in edinburgh what was your reaction? Was it anxiety? Was it kind of yes, this sounds great? What, what was what was emotionally going on for you there? Uh, I imagine I, with a lot of people that people. I mean, I think I would probably be like torn, you know, between oh, this sounds an opportunity, but oh shit, this sounds really scary as well. Uh, uh, I think at that stage, in terms of like my own personal development, I was pretty confident generally, and so I looked at it. At an incredible opportunity and i came yeah. at it with nothing with pretty much exclusively positivity and optimism and i was really keen to sort of go on this adventure with my friends and i thought yeah oh great this is something i can now do immediately out of university i feel like there's a bit of purpose you know and it was really good to latch onto that purpose so honestly like in terms of personal development at that time in my life it was the right thing i needed you know what i mean and i yeah. was I, I had nothing but um real positivity towards that yeah and you 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 now do Edinburgh regularly, you just, I mean, I noticed you had two shows going, most people get knackered just doing the one show at Edinburgh, but you had two, didn't you? Yeah, I always How take Edinburgh, go? I had three shows uh, two years ago, I oh, had really? one show, then two shows, three shows, then I brought it down back to two, because I realised doing three was quite hard, just physically, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I like to perform as much as physically possible when I'm at Edinburgh, because I think to myself, like, people have nine to fives working in an office, and they work hard. Like, I, it pisses me off whenever a performer's like, oh, yeah, I did, like, one show a day and I take a day off because I get really tired. I'm like, screw <laughs> you, dude. Like, there are people who work <laughs> a lot harder than we do, and we get to do shit we love. So I like yeah. to do as much as I can. So, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing that magic is kind of like a great social lubricant as well, you know, in terms of, like, making friends and everything. You can just go up and show them a, a trick and everyone loves you, I'm guessing. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's... In one sense, yes, but in another sense, it becomes a social crutch. The thing with magic and pretty much most of the hobbies of that nature, sometimes music, sometimes less music, but uh, I don't know, like role-playing games and a lot of that, a lot of it is about, I think, finding your own personal identity and indeed finding ways to create, um, uh, uh, what's the word, common interests with other people. And magic, yeah. you feel like, oh, that's a nice way to get a social dynamic going immediately, but you can easily fall on it as a crutch. And I know a lot of younger magicians... Um, and some older magician, sure, and definitely me up until a point in my life. Maybe <laughs> that's why I stopped doing magic for a while. Would It would be my only way of interacting with people. And after a yeah. while, that isn't healthy. You need to realize that the tricks aren't you. They can, Like you say, they have to be a social lubricant. They have to be just a, like a small part of you. And it's easy to make them the entire part of you. So I think like with anything, you've got to take it in moderation. You know, you've got to look and go, hey, this is entertaining. This is really fun. But... I don't want this to be the only thing I'm known for. I don't want the first thing that I do when I meet someone to be show them a trick. And I also don't want whenever someone says, oh, show me a trick, show me a trick, show me a trick, to immediately say yes and just turn into a bit of a performing monkey. You know, you want to be like, <laughs> no, you wouldn't go to a plumber and be like, oh, you're a plumber. Dude, you want to fix my toilet? Be like, oh, fuck off. I'm in a pub. You know, that's weird. 
Like, um, so you might not necessarily do that. So, so yeah, it's it can be really useful and it can be really fun. Um, but I think when you're starting out, it's easy to fall in the habit of using it a bit too much. So, how, how did you kind of recognize? Because that's that's real good self awareness, isn't it? How did you recognize that it was becoming that for you? And then, what did you do to try and find, you know, non magic ways of interacting with people and feel comfortable with it? Well, I had a massive sort of how do you describe it like um personal development change when i was about 18 19 when i went to university and i wanted to make a like this is sort of a big thing for me um i, yeah. I when i was 18 19 when i went to university um up until that point um i'd pretty much been exclusively david and then i started telling everyone my name was dave when I went to university because I wanted to make an effort to change who I was a bit because yeah. although I was happy with myself I wasn't really happy with how people saw me and um, because I was super geeky and very socially awkward and super insecure like um, like a lot of people are you know what I mean like totally of course yeah you know you're going to and, bust, and a lot of people are without thing. really admitting yeah. it aren't they you know a lot of people put a, a lot of people who appear confident are actually quite super insecure as well yeah yeah definitely definitely because like confidence itself or feigned confidence can be another social crutch similar to how performing can be you know they kind of go hand in hand but um but it it always masks something you like true inner confidence is its own thing i think it's not necessarily a forks out confidence um but yeah like i i had a big thing when i was sort of 18 19 and i I was, uh, what am I trying to say? I, I was, uh, the way in which I was interacting with people, I, I was, uh, yeah, that was it. There was an example I was going to give. About two days yeah. ago, I was on a bus and I was trying to find, uh, I've just moved to Sheffield, new city, and I was yeah. trying to find this uh, place, this shop uh, somewhere. And I just got on a bus to find it using Google Maps. And I was sitting on this bus thinking, there was a time like seven or maybe like, a decade ago where this would have been a massive deal for me like getting on a bus where i didn't know which stop to get off at and having to like having an interaction with a driver and feeling really nervous because what if i press the bell too early or something you know oh I, god yeah just, i have all that yeah <laughs> yeah but these days like i do that like i breathe you know like my level of confidence is generally pretty i i look at that situation and i'm like i can't mess this up can i how bad <laughs> this go wrong it can't like just get over it get on a boat you know what i mean now i just don't think about it anymore and that really so, so came what? about when i was 18 19 and i made a really yeah. big social change and i got really into social psychology and that started to really affect the way i was interacting with people and how i understood how people interacted with each other and it's what i ended up writing my dissertation on and oh, wow. uh, that was I, I wasn't even aware of that but i, I want to break that down dave because there'll be a lot of people who listen and and you know it resonates with me what you just said as well what 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 kind of tips would you give you know autobiography being advice and all that sort of stuff in terms of what worked for you for other people who recognize themselves in the scenario that you've just painted and are wanting to make that yeah change? well like uh well honestly it comes gradually um, like I, I really, I've thought a lot into this. Like this is, it's always been sort of a pet hobby for me over the last, uh, honestly, the last decade, I would say, yeah. of my life. With um, social psychology, I'm hugely into it. Specifically, the psychology of why people are attracted to things, and like why we like one thing over another. Because that's what I wanted to be for 
Manelli. I wanted to be attractive. And I don't just mean like romantically attractive. I mean like, you know, why did why do you pick that person to be your friend over that person? Or why do you pick yeah. why do you prefer Burger King over McDonald's? You know, what is it that attracts you to things? And yeah. I thought if I broke that down, I'd I'd feel a lot more confident because I'd feel in control of it. And that's really what happened. But in terms of like advice, I mean there's so much. I think really understanding that it comes gradually is important. Thinking that it isn't just like an immediate change. Um, one really quick, solid piece of advice, I'd say, is the more you start pretending to be confident, the more that you will eventually adopt that and it will become part of you. Because if you walk into a room and sort of pretend that you're a character, that we, God, there was even a time, bloody hell, we've done some weird shit, like me and my friends... <laughs> uh, we really, we really did some sort of social experimentation with yeah. each other. We, we did some weird stuff. Um, I remember there was one night we w- went out, and everyone we met, we introduced ourselves with a fake name, which sounds really <laughs> weird. But we did it because we wanted to see what it was like to adopt a different character. Yeah. And it's a really interesting experiment. You hear about it like with acting technique, with mask work, putting on a mask. That's right. You feel, yeah, there's a big separation between you. you know, I've or even that, when you're yeah. in a car or behind a keyboard, you feel so much more confident because you think the rest of the world can't see you. And we said, what happens if we just give ourselves a different name and play a bit of a character? And it is amazing how much you feel... Um, liberated uh, because you think oh the world is seeing someone else they're not seeing me but a lot of it is just if you walk onto a bus or wherever and think what is the worst that can happen in this situation there is nothing that I can't deal with that you know you know what I mean like there's no yeah. there's there's nothing bad gonna happen it's me creating like you create all of these things that could go wrong oh what if I press the wrong the bus the the press the button at the wrong stop or what if i have a weird confrontation with the driver or what if i have to sit next to someone all of these if if is a massively useless piece of philosophy the (laughs) the thing you've got to deal with is the situation as it comes to you and i'm pretty confident to deal with most situations getting used to dealing with confrontation helps as well um uh, but yeah honestly you've opened a wormhole like in that that question i could break so many things down and I, i don't know where to start really yeah, I'm fascinated by this stuff as well. I mean, I, I actually did a year's training as a as a psychotherapist and decided oh, yeah, not to go awesome. through with it. Um, largely because I just felt uncomfortable within that community, not because I lost interest. So I'm still fascinated by stuff to do with psychology. And if you read my blogs, they tend to be about, you know, the, the struggle of personal change, I suppose. So, yeah, so no, this, I've seen your stuff, and yeah, totally. This is really pressing my buttons. And I'm... <laughs> I mean, some of the things you said there are quite stoic in philosophy where, you know, you do some negative visualizations and just feel okay that you could cope even if the worst thing did happen. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's definitely a truism, yeah. But that, that whole fake it till you make it then, that's, that's not just a, a cliche that actually worked for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, it got to the stage where I was really thinking about specifically what I would say. You ever do that thing, and I bet you do, because everyone does, where before you have what you might deem as an important conversation, or maybe sometimes just a completely non-important conversation, you run through what you're going to say in your head, and you may play yeah. through different scenarios where you think That's what right. they might say and how you'd react. So I did that to a really intense level, to the point where I'd come up with conversation topics that I kind of had in the back of my mind. So whenever I'd meet someone new... I didn't feel as though, you know, I made sure there was never an awkward pause and everything yeah. I said had meaning. You know, you know, you chat to someone and sometimes you think, oh my God, this person's really boring or they're consistently talking about themselves or the opposite. Yeah. All they do is ask you questions yeah, and yeah. it becomes a bit 
whereas some people seem to have socially met that perfect sweet spot where they talk about themselves talk about you and talk about nothing and it all feels great and you feel like you're really connecting I was like how do you do that how do you create that connection how do you create that social confidence and there's a pattern to it like literally a breakdown of conversation you could map it sentence by sentence and I really did map it sentence by sentence and at first I thought when I was talking to people I felt a bit robotic because I was repeating things that I'd sort of planned to say and it was a bit weird but the fact is I got over that weirdness quite quickly because I got used to the fact that I was starting to have a lot more social success like I was making more friends I was going on more dates I was getting more work because I was changing the like really consciously changing what I said and the way in which I said it so was it because a formula, Dave, or was, saying, yeah, was it a like, formula? I mean, what was the formula? I don't want to say, I don't want to say, it's not as simple as one plus one equals two, yeah. but, it, but in another sense it is, there's definitely a formula to it. You know what, sod it, no, there is a formula to it, I'm committed <laughs> to saying that, there is def- definitely a formula. What is there it? Is, there is a, I mean, like, if you want to, okay, okay, here we go, here we go, I'll give you like, a very base example of it okay yeah now this was a an example that i um once read about and uh like the the frustrating the frustrating thing is about a lot of this sort of social dynamic stuff and understanding the way people work is some people have taken this to a very dark place and they've made it about only trying to pick up women or trying to you know be ruthless in business and stuff and it's all the same psychology like if you read business management books and books designed to help you pick up women or whatever they're all the same psychology they've just really warped it in a fairly disgusting way sure but if you take the really base principles and adopt it in a really ethical way it all it all sort of makes sense and when you get books like the secret or you know social successful books that are socially more acceptable it's the same stuff so the point i'm making is the example i'm about to give you while i think it originally came from a fairly negative source holds weight and the example is sure imagine um i'll ask you personally okay what what would you um is there an object of um economic value that you would um that you like like maybe a house or a car like is there a car that you'd really like or an instrument or something like that Oh, that's a tough one, you know, because I, I don't really it's, like stuff. I like experiences, you know. I like no, to have no, autonomy over time. The wrong well, go on. <laughs> if I was to say, um, like, there was a an, uh, maybe an experience you could have, like a, yeah. like a holiday or something, maybe somewhere you'd like to go or, or an yeah, experience like, you'd like to do. A nice, holiday, a nice bit of winter sun would... Yeah, a nice bit of winter sun would probably, would probably go down pretty well at the moment. So maybe going to the south of France or something? Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, well, imagine this, right? Imagine your perfect holiday. So you're talking about experiences to me right now. I want you yeah. to imagine the perfect holiday. Maybe going to a part of the world you've never been before, and you've always really wanted to visit, and you know it would be an incredible experience for you to go and see what a different culture would be like, you know? In okay, your head, I go to Nashville, and I'm thinking Nashville. That's perfect. Nashville. Yeah. Fantastic. America. Brilliant. Now... You know it's very expensive to go to America, and you know that you want to go for a really extended period of time to really get the feel. You want to go for a couple of months or something. You know, you really want to yeah. get the the real impact of it. You don't just want to go for a few days, and that's going to be really expensive. You've worked out the accommodation costs, you've worked out the flight costs, you've worked out like the fact that you won't be working while you're out there, so you'll be having the live-off savings, and you've worked that it's going to cost like maybe about twenty thousand pounds to do this right you've decided this and this is your dream you've made this your goal you want to go to nashville spend a couple of months there have a big sort of um personal retreat 
Yeah. It's going to cost you about 20 grand to do this, okay? So right now, you start saving to do that, okay? You start saving. You start putting a bit more money away every week from your job. And this lasts for a while. Like, you have to maybe not buy that item of clothing that you kind of wanted to do. You might not go away on that weekend that you kind of wanted to do because you know you're saving long term. You don't go on that restaurant that you wanted to do. You know, you, you really just, like, sacrifice those little experiences because in the long term you know it's going to be big and this takes you ages because that's a lot that's a lot of money that takes you 10 years to save up wow. that 20 yeah. grand right that takes you 10 years because that's a lot of money man i want you to imagine what you you would be like in 10 years right now take a moment to really think about the kind of person you'd have become how much you might have ch changed as a person over the next 10 years of your life but nevertheless 10 years down the line you've got it you've got the cash in a briefcase and you go into thompson's or whatever other holiday place and you walk in and you put the money on the table and you say, here it is, and you get your plane ticket and your accommodation, and you get that file of information that is your ticket to going there. Imagine how good that feels as yeah, you walk feels good. that route and give that guy. Imagine how good that feels, that thing you've worked so hard for, you get it. And you take it home, your flight's leaving tomorrow, and you take it home, and right there on your kitchen table as you walk home is a file with the exact same holiday, the exact same excursion planned that you won in a raffle a week earlier purely a million to one chance you thought oh my god that's the holiday i wanted you put a ticket in and you happened to win and now you've got two now you're not going to use both of them it makes the most sense to sell one of them which one are you going to sell Ooh, that's an interesting right. question i didn't expect that one which so one would one you I've... sell yeah I, i'm just i'm just thinking it over i'm not sure um Do you know, I'm tempted, I'm tempted to say the one I've worked for. Oh, I don't know, though, because then it'd feel like I'd earned it if I, if I chose to sell the exactly other one. Exactly. Yeah. The vast majority of people. Now, the example you classically give in this situation is a car. And then when you drive the car home, you've got a car that was exactly the same you won in a raffle. You need to sell one of the cars. It's a little bit of an easier example, really, than the holiday. But the point is, inevitably, 99% of people will always yeah. won they won. The reason is... You're you know, it's funny you say that before you carry on. I've, I, I, a very distant relative of mine um, passed on um, recently. And by complete surprise, I found out that I'd got just, I mean, it's only a small thing, just a small, uh, he left me a little bit of money in his will, which was a real surprise because, as I say, he was a distant relative. And I felt as though I didn't deserve it. Whereas if I'd earned yeah. that same amount of money, I would have been completely all right with, with receiving completely. it. Completely. Exactly. Now, what does that mean, right? Now, let's look at it, forgetting about the word earn, if we yeah. just look at it as I am more attracted to X than I am Y. If you really worked hard to buy that holiday or buy that car, you're attracted to that holiday over the other one. Now, a stranger would look at that money and go, oh, that's 50-50, you know, I'll take that or leave it. Yeah. But to you, it means something. To you, yeah. it means something because you worked so hard for it. And I'm that, invested you're invested. And investment is the key word. Investment is attraction. The trick to becoming socially competent, I believe, and um, also more attractive as a person is making people invest in you and understanding what it is to invest in someone. And investment comes in many forms. It can come economically because money is a great investment, but it's not the greatest investment. It can come physically. It can come emotionally. The greatest investment is probably time because time's the one commodity you're not going to get back. On yeah. a very simple I like sort of example of that, the more time 
time you spend with anything, the more attracted you become to it. It's called the mere exposure effect. The idea that McDonald's, everyone's heard of them, they don't need to advertise anymore, but they do consistently. You always see McDonald's adverts on the TV. Why? They don't need that advertisement because they know the more that you are merely exposed to McDonald's, the more time you invest in just seeing that ad advert in the background by it existing in your life the more comfortable you become with mcdonald's as a brand the more you become relaxed with it because it's not new it's comfortable it's old and that makes you more attracted to mcdonald's they know that and what about if you imply that to everyday life if you go on that bus journey right the one that makes you really nervous that's hard yeah what if you've done that bus journey every day for the last five years? Then that bus journey's easy because you're invested in it. You've done it so many times it becomes comfortable to you. And that's what creates confidence. That's what creates attraction. You know? You'd rather go on that bus than any other bus because you know exactly where it goes, you know exactly when you need to get off. And yeah, that's familiar. You're investing your time. So if you can work out how to get other people to invest in you, you become more attractive. And if you control that, you feel infinitely confident it's like it's like invulnerability you know when you know that like you can completely control the social situation then you're sort of invulnerable anyway that's, i saw that's, a, i saw a talk actually dave that this chimes in with only the other day i saw this talk by daniel gilbert who's a professor of psychology at harvard university and he was doing a ted talk about his book stumbling upon happiness and he was talking about something very similar and he said that they, in this experiment, they gave people um, six Monets, you know, pictures, paintings to rate in order of their, how much they liked it from one, two, three, four, five, and six. And then at the end of that experiment, once they'd ranked it in order of like, they said, well, we've actually got two of these prints, but unfortunately it's your number three and number four. So only the ones you kind of middle liked and not much difference between them. And you can have one. And of course, everyone chose number three because they liked that better than number four. And then they got them in later on and asked them to rank the pictures again. And what had happened, the people's third choice preference, which they now owned, became their second choice preference. Yeah, of course. And the one they'd rejected, number four, was now fifth place. So they'd knocked the one they had up a notch. And the one they'd rejected, they kind of justified that in their own mind by knocking it down as though they didn't actually exactly like it as much right. as they thought. Exactly, right. It's fascinating. The paradox yeah. of choice. Like, yeah. you need to really justify everything to yourself, don't you? You need to go, oh, I made this choice, therefore this choice yeah. has to be better. And this choice, you know what I mean? Like, um, that's just but the way people also, work. People it, super need justification. Yeah, it also links into something else I read some time ago where it was talking about, and I've got a blog post on this actually about, you know, asking for help is your gift to the world. But basically what it was saying is if you want to build a friendship, don't help people. Ask for help because then they invest in you they've got a stake in you doing well as a result of the help that you gave them, or they gave you, rather. Is that yeah, a similar kind I mean, of investment? It totally is. I'd almost go as far to say that's like one specific technique that totally is an, is an idea. Like, yeah. the more you get someone to help you, the more, anyone, the more anyone spends any time doing anything to do with you, the more they are invested in you. You know? It's, it's simple. Like... Even a job that you hate, but you go to every single day, you'd probably prefer over another job you think you'd hate on the basis that you it's the devil you know. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it even works in a negative context. But yeah, you're completely right. So in terms of this kind of... if you So you're in conversation with someone, and I'm guessing that this links in because what you're saying is that in this conversation, I'm trying to make this person become invested in me, and then, then they will find me appealing. 
Is that right? Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, so what is that kind of, what is that formula? I'm guessing that it's a little bit of asking about them, a little bit of revealing something about you. And then there's, is there some sort of ratio involved when you say, said there was a formula? Um, yeah, you kind of sort of broke it down fairly simply but accurately right then, um, to be honest. Like, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It's just that we're not taught this. We're, we're expected to just understand it. We're always taught that, oh, some people are socially confident and attractive and some people aren't. Just deal with it. That's your lot in life. That's not true. Like, these are all incredibly learnable skills. The ability to be social and the ability to have a conversation whereby both parties end more fulfilled and happy that they've had that conversation is an entirely learnable skill. And I think people, when we talk about it as an idea that's a formula or a game or a system, people look yeah. at it with a, hell, a really strong skepticism. And people really don't want to look at that and go, oh, that isn't a science. You know, romance should just be magic. Like this idea that, oh, you will one day meet the love of your life and it will be perfect. Fuck no. Like if you don't work for it <laughs> and you don't make an effort to go out and meet people and indeed become a better person yourself so that when you do meet people they like you yeah. like you know what i mean um uh and i don't think focusing on your own flaws so yeah the formula would be there's two i think there's two levels to it and um, the first is thinking about yourself because your own attitude of yourself will massively affect how other people see you and that's just a sort of borderline subconscious thing you can't help it so once you've really got yourself that's that's half of the formula is how you see yourself the other half um, in terms of just basic conversation, I mean, I don't think about this now. This is just breathing, really. It's yeah, this is like the McDonald's having... thing for you now, isn't it? It's second yeah, nature. No, totally. like, yeah, no, totally. You do it a thousand times. But, yeah. like, it used to be a case of... Um, uh, it's all about understanding value because we're attracted to things that are valuable. So you have to raise your... You have to become a valuable person. And you think, well, what's valuable in society? Well, lots of things. Like, I mean, if we're being silly, like um, being a magician, some people quite <laughs> think that's entertaining, you know, or cool. Yeah. Uh, actually no let's use a better example let's use something that's not a magician at all um uh like well i was expecting to say humor because that's a great social currency isn't it and if you're yeah, if you can make people bad. smile then people like Humor's you not bad but the thing with humor is that a lot of people find it difficult to be funny i'm trying to think of something that's really applicable to everyone generally okay. speaking we've all got something that is awesome about ourselves and it doesn't really matter what it is but as long as you believe it's awesome about yourself that'll do <laughs> Even if it's you play Dungeons and Dragons better than anyone else. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Um, and the trick is you start a conversation and you have to make sure that you are not telegraphing want. Because there's nothing worse than, you know, like when people stop you on the street and they've got a clipboard and you immediately feel a bit physically repulsed by yeah. them. And it's not like a personal thing at all. It's an no. instinctive thing. It's because immediately you know they want something from you and that is a really ugly way generally to start a conversation it's not always true it works sometimes for different reasons like there's no steadfast rules here but this is a base idea so if you walk into a conversation with say someone that you're attracted to and you would you'd love them to you'd love to have a good impression of them you don't want to walk up to them and say can i buy you a drink because that's immediately going hey can i buy your affection can i economically yeah. invest in you because i think <laughs> that's the way to get your attention no that's terrible or you walk into a job interview and you want to convince them that you're right for the job you don't want to walk in and go oh my god please give me this job i'm so desperate because that's conveying want and when they think we are more valuable than you that's everything's already fucked so you need to create a sense of equal value and you do that by walking up to someone and conveying that Although you want to have a conversation with them, 
it doesn't matter to you how this goes. Like if it turns out after two minutes of talking to this person that they're not very cool, then be be confident enough to go, you know, I don't you're not the kind of person I want to interact with. You know what I mean? I don't mean outwardly say that. I just mean No, but just make the decision that. for yourself. You know, don't yeah. look at everyone and go, Oh my god, I desperately need you to like me. Look at everyone and go, Why should I like you? Why you prove yourself to me. I think looking at people and going, I need you to prove yourself to me is a good way to do it. Go up, be friendly. Hey, how are you going? I usually would say something that is absolutely meaningless, you know, like find some common ground. Oh, I like your T-shirt or something. Or, oh, you know, if you find yourself in a similar, a socially similar situation, just pick up on something silly. And then don't be afraid to tell them your name because that's always a nice, clear, simple thing to say. You know, I'm Dave. You know what I mean? And they'll always say your name and they're all immediately. You've got a little bit of investment straight away back there. And then ask them a question. Actually listen to what they say. The next thing you say should be based off what they've just said, you know, and links to it. And don't just make the whole thing about you. Make it about both of you, you know, create so, a little. So it's like a it's like a comedy color. improv scene, Dave, isn't it? You know, when because we've both it's done comedy exactly improv, and like what you have to do there, you've got no yeah, script. For those who've never done it, you've got no script. You're up there on in front of an audience, and you basically build a cathedral one brick at a time. And you can't really try and control the the scene. You have to just see what's given from your scene partner, really listen, and then you respond simply to that. And they're really listening and they respond. And and at the end of it, you've got a dramatic scene. So it sounds like it's using... And it's interesting because I think you do live in a very yes-and, improv-y sort of way. Um, But that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it, really? Really listen, treat it like an improv scene and uh, pay attention to your partner. It's not even treat it. They are exactly the same yeah. thing. Like improvisation yeah. in a performance context is entirely about the social dynamic between the two people on stage, right? It's true, or yeah. the person in the audience. That's it. That's what a normal conversation is between two people. You don't go into a conversation, you don't plan shit. You just have a spontaneous <laughs> conversation. But if you in advance practice the rules of improv- improvisation and also have a backup of you know like if you've if you're already a very funny person who's done improv a thousand times you'll notice there are patterns and there's certain things that allow you to draw from past experiences that make the improvisation you're doing in that moment more funny because you've got more experience the same goes for if you're having a conversation with just someone you've met like if you've already you know practiced a bit and like thought about things that you could say and you understood how not to come across like an idiot, you'll have a much more successful social conversation, just as you would a comedy improviser. Well, it's interesting Mick Napier, his name is, he, I think he was from Annoyance Theatre, which was one of, I might be wrong on that, but I think he was, one of the big things in America that, that teach improv and perform improv. And one of the things that he says in his book is that you need to do the stuff that we've just said, you know, really listen. But he says, take a gift onto stage with you. So have an idea that yes. you take on almost like yeah, a backup. Really and it good. sounds like that's how you were doing your conversations. You had some like backup ideas. That's a really good but, way to phrase yeah. it. Yeah, no, take a gift with you. I completely agree. And the gift is yourself and the best parts of yourself and quantifying the best parts of yourself so that when called upon, you can display them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in terms of the questions you ask people, uh, I'm guessing there's some questions that... I mean, I read this thing, right, where it says that... Um, you might have seen this, it's a study, and there was about 36 questions. And what two people had to do is ask ask each other these questions. It kind of cut to the emotional chase, 
you know, got got past all the small talk and asked questions that were kind of meaningful. And then they spent four minutes at the end of the discussion just staring into each other's eyes. And the scientist said, then you fall in love because <laughs> you've exposed so yeah. much of each other. So all the, all the, because what I find in friendships um, and certainly acquaintance, acquaintanceships is that there's a lot of kind of surface stuff that's not really relating and I often think, like, I wish we didn't have these surface-level conversations. I wish we could kind of cut to the emotional chase and really connect and relate. And so in terms of the questions you ask people beyond you, the, the initial sort of four-minute connection, and, and in terms of the things that you share of yourself, are they things which express some sort of openness and vulnerability, or, or are you just chatting shit? Do you know what I mean? Is it, is it kind of superficial pastiming? Yeah, uh, honestly, I think if we didn't do that, we'd be machines. Because yeah. if it was as simple as going up to someone and immediately being able to have a conversation where you both existed on a level that you had no want or desire or vulnerability, then we'd be robots talking to each other. We'd be like computers. And we're not that. We are creatures of emotion. And, um, and it's really important to acknowledge that. And so small talk or chatting shit, or however you want to call it, like, what it is, is testing the water, it's kind of like, and, well, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be really seen as testing the water, it shouldn't be like, oh, I feel like I have to go through this conversation in order to have a proper conversation, no, it should be having fun, you know, yeah. like, if I, like, meet some, like, let me think of an example, um, uh, what's happened recently where that's happened? Um, uh, like last night, oh bloody hell! So last night, I uh, uh, my train was meant to arrive at half past midnight and uh, get me home for half past one in the morning. I ended up getting home at half past four in the morning because there was a huge, huge fuck up with the trains, and uh, which was a ball ache. And uh, I was with my friend Patrick, and there was about four other people who um, who uh, were in the same situation. And we all just started chatting, and we were yeah. just chatting shit. We weren't talking about anything meaningful, and we weren't necessarily <laughs> talking about how frustrated we were with the trains. But that was the start of the conversation because that was something we all could that see. Was the commonality, common. yeah, exactly, yeah, um, and that's a proven factor of attraction. Um, and then we just, you know, you you'd chat stuff. You'd just be like, "Hello." What do you, you know, you, you, you just make the conversation up as you're going. And it was all meaningless. And I can't even remember exactly what was said. But what I do remember is that we all had fun and made light of a negative situation. And I didn't look at that as though I was chatting shit because I needed to break through to someone else. I looked at that as though I was enjoying myself and I was just existing in the moment and having a nice time. You know, I didn't put pressure on that. Yeah, um, well, this is, this is what's... Matters. It, this is dead interesting to me because you're saying this. You said you're saying that about being in the moment, and before you said how unattractive it is if somebody comes in with some outcome like the guy with the clipboard or whatever. Yeah. And my big obsession at the moment, Dave, is that I've I've what I'm trying to do is disattach myself from outcome. What I've realised is whenever I try and earn money, I don't. I lose money. Whenever I try and um, you know get someone to like me it, it's awkward so and i've been reading a book as well which is called punished by rewards by a guy named alfie Cohn, who's looked at a whole range of studies which indisputably say that whenever you reward or punish somebody um give them an outcome basically not only is the work that they do a lot shitter but they really dislike the work 
even if it's work that they used to love. And yeah. so basically, once you put an outcome on anything, everything suffers, you're more miserable, you do less of the work, the work that you do is less quality. And it sounds really? like that you're, you're basically preaching something there, which is saying, look, drop the outcome and be in the moments and just enjoy the now. And then the outcome will kind of take care of itself if you do that. Completely true. Uh, the, the problem with it is that most people do not have the, well, a lot of people do not have the luxury of being able to not care about the outcome. For example, when you go for a job interview and you get nervous yeah. and you want to be confident, like sometimes that job, I'm not going to say it means life or death in the Western world, but it, yeah. it can mean a lot. It can mean a fuck of a lot. It can oh, mean yeah. like, can you keep your house? You know, yeah. stuff like that. And, uh, well, I have that same difficulty about- with money because I really need the money, you know, and every that's month exactly I have to make point. the rent. Yeah, that's and, exactly so, um, and that's why it's very hard for me to disattach, but it's something that I feel as though I have to do because yeah. by focusing on the money, I actually mess up my own chances. And when I forget about the money, that is oddly when I tend to do better. But it's a totally. weird mind trick to try and do it. It's hard. It's very hard. I was very lucky. I was privileged early on. I mean, I went to university. My dad, while he never made a lot of money, made just about enough so that if I needed a couple of quid because I was late on rent, he could do that for me. A lot of people didn't have that luxury. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I I was very blessed in that situation. I think some people do definitely put it on themselves, though. Um, And I think, like, there's definitely a balance. Some people really have a hard time because they really need to there's outcomes they need some people create outcomes because they feel as though justifying something is better to them than accepting that they are so have a problem socially you know it's like whenever you meet someone and they define themselves by their flaws and they're happy with that you know like i don't mind people being introverted at all i think like you know i everyone loves to spend their own time together but at the same time i find that there's definitely become a bit of a movement where people are really trying to say to everyone oh i'm introverted accept it you know and i'm a bit like well like no like at the end of the day if you want to be social you've got to accept that there's a way it works like you can't just expect everyone to change their behavior to suit yours sometimes you're going to have to change your behavior to suit the world you know you can't necessarily change reality but you can change your perception of reality and that that is what allows you to to move forward as a human being you know so when you were on this journey, Dave, what, what, what do you think were the most influential things that you read or saw? You know, if you were to give us like a reading list, because my interest is certainly piqued by a lot of the stuff you're talking about. What books would you, like I just recommended the Alfie Cohn book, what books would you recommend to people who wanted to explore this topic once the podcast is finished? Okay, um, I'm going to tell you the truth, and I don't tell a lot of people this. Um... So when I was 18, 19, I was like super socially desperate. I was like so insecure and I would just, I'd do anything to get out of that situation. You know what I mean? And you know how it feels, you know, like you're feeling that. And I started reading all these books and there there was this book that a friend said, oh, read this. And it was called um, How to Pick Up Women or something like that. Yeah. And I I read this book and it was, uh, it's called The Mystery Method, How to Pick Up Women by this guy. Some American guy. I think um, I, I was, think I'm aware of not not that, but that guy's name rings a bell yeah. because 
wasn't didn't the journalist Neil Strauss do a book called Neil the Strauss, Game yeah, all about the, that? Yeah, no, that was it. Um, there was a book called The Game by Neil Strauss um, that I was vaguely aware of, and I'd heard yeah. that the guy he'd based that book on had written a book, and so okay. that was the book I read. Um, and and I and I read that book, and and it was like, oh, here's how to pick up women and stuff. And I read it, and I was like, right, first off, the way in which they're... This was kind of before the whole pickup artist thing was a sure. big deal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. become a lot more widespread that people know about it now. But back then, I think it was a properly terrifying underground movement, you know? Yeah. Um, I wasn't really aware of it uh, at all. But I read this book, and I was reading it, and everything they sort of said in the book was geared towards i don't want to say objectifying women because i don't think they outwardly were trying to do that but they couldn't help but do that in the way they were yeah. phrased you know it was it was that and it was bad but it clearly came from a place where there were just a lot of desperate geeky guys who had not been taught how to be social and were trying to discover it for themselves sure and uh, but underlying in this book i was reading principles and ideas and i thought you know what like I can't floor the psychology. That sounds like it's right. And although the, the way they're implementing it, like ideas like negging and all this sh really weird specific shit wasn't necessary, the principles behind their, oh, here's how value works, here's how attraction works, here's how investment works, I was a bit like, oh, this, this kind of makes, seems like it makes sense. And when I got yeah, because one of these guys used to wear like a, a mad fancy hat, didn't he? Because I remember, I remember yeah. reading an article about yeah. the Neil Strauss book, and and he was wearing like a mad fancy hat because it was like a peacock thing, and it would it would bring value to him. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ideas they had. There's a lot of ideas, and uh, but yeah, you're right. That that was definitely a thing in it. And I and I thought, oh right, you know. And I and I started to slightly implement these ideas because I mean, sorry, I was 18 or 19, and I was. A, very different person to what I was now, you know. Sure. Um, and I'm not ashamed of like being that person at that stage in my life, you know. Because if yeah, I didn't absolutely. go through that place, I'd be who I am. Now. Um, uh, at the same time, though, I do feel really dirty for saying it. It's kind of like saying, "God, I once voted Tory." <laughs> what a mistake that was, right? Um, and I, I don't disrespect anyone for changing their mind. Uh, no, I mean that's the whole journey, Dave, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I read those things, and then I got my my dissertation at the end of my uh, university career because I was an acting student I could write it on any aspect of performance it didn't have to be specifically acting and I thought right I'm going to write it about the psychology of attraction and how that mixes in with being a magician because I thought to myself there's definitely an overlap because as a magician yeah. when you're hired to perform at a party doing close-up magic a lot yeah. of the time you've got to go around and socially interact with people and it can be weird when people see this guy come come up to you and say hey do you want to see a magic trick and it's, it's a bit weird and you have to get over that social awkwardness really quickly and the principles yeah. I thought really sort of fitted in and um, but the problem was as a source I couldn't cite this this mystery method book because <laughs> it was well I mean it just wasn't academic from a really yeah. practical standpoint so I started to go into the university libraries and grab out the huge textbooks on social psychology and go to the relationship section and I was fascinated to discover the exact same principles that were being taught in this mystery method book for geared how to pick up women were written down in these social psychology textbooks they just had different names real names real names that psychologists had done incredible studies over things like the mere exposure effect things like and um, the idea of value things like proximity 
like being just physically closer to people tends to mean you're more attracted to them repetition like and i was absolutely blown away i thought oh my god these geeks what they've done is repackaged things that already existed but they've put it in a how-to guide and then after i graduated university i got really into business because obviously i started becoming self-employed started buying all of these business management textbooks how to be a good business person and it blew me away that i was seeing the exact same techniques taught by these how to pick up women but they just repackaged it into how to be a successful business person how to have a conversation and the same is true of a lot of self-help books you know and I look at these and I'm like, it's all the same message, really. So whatever books you read, I think all you've got to do is find the one that works for you, but realize that um, that there is a system in place. I actually tr- tried writing a book a while ago um, uh, to do with like how attraction works. And I really wanted to rewrite that whole mystery method stuff without all of the horrible misogynistic yeah patriarchal shit that came with it and go no here's the base building blocks um but honestly until then i've not found a book that really breaks it down in as much of a how-to guide but i'm hoping i think i think there will be one eventually yeah oh that's fascinating i'm, I'm just thinking in terms of the improv stuff that we mentioned i was saying that the improv you... stuff's really good good improv books yeah like the one you mentioned the principle you mentioned the gift stuff like that that's yeah rate to read i'd go as far to say actually if you think of it as more of a how-to guide of any social interaction not just improvisational stuff improv books will be better than most uh self-help books of that nature i think because improv they really aren't really break it down and that's what you need to do well there's there's one improv book that i'd recommend i don't know if you've read it by two two really famous um improvisational performers called tj and dave um, and I'll put the link in the show notes because I can't quite remember the the um, the title. But what they talk about is not so much the comedy, although what they do is is quite comic. They talk about honesty and authenticity and how to find that in an improv scene. And just just as a whole kind of psychological approach, even though it's written for performers, TJ and Dave's book is really really fascinating. Um, just in terms of the depth of relationship that they yeah. seek to create on stage and how they manage to do that. I really think reading that kind of book and similar books like it, but every time you read the idea of improv, think conversation. Every time you read the word performance, think interaction. You know what I mean? And just treat it as though it's a manual for life, not a manual for the stage. Well, one of the rules of improv is that is that we say yes and, which doesn't necessarily mean that we say yes to everything, but it means we accept our reality that's been given to us and then we build on it. But I noticed that going back to when Jolly Boat, you, you, you know, Tommy and Ed, who were your friends, who, who took you to Edinburgh for the first 15 minutes, your approach was very yes and. And from the outside looking in, I, I see that about you. You know, you're like the guy who worked in the comic book store. You go around on a skateboard. Anything that was going on that was, you know, had anything fun there, you seem to be in the middle of it. And I'm, I'm just curious, what kind of things do you say no to and, and why do you decide to say no to some things when you seem to be such an up for it guy for the vast majority of things? If I'm, you know, I'm looking from the outside and you know you better and you know your processes, but I mean, is that a, an accurate description of you that you're up for everything and also um, what are the things that you do say no to? I think like a good, a good way to go about it is start when, when you start your own sort of journey, 
when you when you start becoming more socially aware and really wanting to change the way you like people see you and stuff really say yes and to everything like really do throw yourself into everything shit you would normally do situations you wouldn't normally get in do it all and then i've been doing that for like a while now um, I'm not that old, but I've been going, I've been trying this for a long time. And then the more you do it, the more you can start saying no to stuff. Because you, once you've experienced a lot more things, you can then go, I know what I like, I know what I don't like, I know what's going to work, I know what's not going to work. You know what I mean? And I think being not being afraid to say no is a really important thing in life. Like, you don't ever want to be pushed over. You want to never shy away from necessary confrontation. I think that's really, really important. I think confrontation is something that... Um, that isn't looked at and people tend to avoid at all costs. Um, well, you mentioned like- that earlier. Can I dig into that? Because it's something that I'm, I meant to pick you up on and then we got chatting about something else. You said you've become a lot better at being able to handle confrontation. And as a person who really shies away from and find really uncomfortable in confrontation, it really kind of psychically affects me. Um, how do you handle confrontation? What did you learn to do? Why do you think it affects you? I think because I go to the worst um, outcome and imagine myself getting punched in the face. And secondly, um, if the punch in the face isn't there, I think I really struggle with the idea that um, people out there, particularly people who, who I have time for, who I, I respect, think ill of me. And I think that bothers you're, me. You're an incredibly self-aware person, you know what? I think you've really broken that down perfectly. You're right. Like, the threat of violence, I think, is fairly minimal generally, but mainly the idea that other people won't like you yeah. is a big sort of uh, confrontation thing. But again, if you take a step back out of your world for a second and you sort of look at that bus and think, you know what, if I press the bell at the wrong time, <laughs> what is going to happen? You know? Like... Is the world going to explode? Of course it's not. You know, you walk up to the driver and you say, sorry, mate, I meant the next one. He's not going to force you off the bus, is he? The same as in confrontation. Like, the fact is that generally speaking, whenever I get into confrontation, like, obviously it's because I think I'm right. And I'm not a dick. Like, I'm... (laughs) I'm confident enough in, like, I think to myself, if this is worth fighting for, there must be something to it. Like, you know what I mean? It must matter. There's there's a problem in my life. And I'm not yeah. just doing it to be harsh. I'm doing it because it needs to be done. And if I believe in something that much, then if at the end of the confrontation, the other person, whoever was gone, doesn't like me, then I don't want them to like me. I don't need that person to like me. Like, and if anyone else thinks ill of me because of this confrontation, I know it was justified. So really... The only reason you'd ever feel as though you um, were, were worried about what other people thought of you is if you didn't really commit to the confrontation in the first place, if you thought that you standing up for that moment in time wasn't justified. So I think the trick is the more confident you feel in justifying why you're being confrontational or the reason for the argument or the reason for the problem you're trying to fix, the less you're going to give a shit about a negative outcome because at the end of the day it's probably going to be positive you're going to get what you want or you're going to go you know what i tried um and any consequences because of that don't matter because in that moment i did the right thing you know and i find that i very rarely fall out with anyone ever like oh my god i've never had a falling out with any of my close friends even when we like cross paths in horrendous ways you know (laughs) We still never fall out because we talk about it 
and we either we either end the conversation by going we're we're probably not the kind of two people who should continue being friends which never happens or we end by going who gives a shit you know yeah like a or, or a stranger in the street if i have a confrontation with them which is incredibly rare obviously but you know like once in a while someone you know what i tend to find is people who have jobs where they are behind plexiglass and generally speaking when they're separated from people you know once in a blue moon you'll get someone who's like weirdly negative to you like i don't care if that person likes me because they're being rude or unnecessary or problematic and i think i'm gonna deal with this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like berate people at random just because they piss me off i'm I'm only talking about really necessary confrontations here but yeah that that that's my point be confident in what you're saying and if you are then you can always look back and say i did the right thing regardless of the outcome I want to talk about your move, your move to Sheffield because you said you've recently moved there. It was, it's about what six weeks or two months ago you moved to Sheffield, I think, isn't yeah, about it? About that, yeah. And one of the things, see, I'm in my mid forties now, and one of the things that I notice that I find difficult is kind of generating new friendships. And I'm a person who's out there, so I've got lots of people in my orbit, I suppose. But I think, do you know, when you're not kind of carrying people like your mates Tommy and Ed from like university experience and stuff to make a new friendship is I think really difficult for a lot of people. And I noticed that you were on Facebook and you, you basically said, I can't quite remember. So I'm paraphrasing, but you basically said, right, I'm in Sheffield now. My plan is to take over the city. So I'm looking for drinks and meats and all that sort of stuff. So it sounded like you're, you planted your flag and you were going to make a, a whole load of friendships in Sheffield. And I'm wondering what your battle plan was and how it's gone so far. Have you taken over Sheffield yet? <laughs> Do you know what, mate? <laughs> like, I, I came to Sheffield and I had so many plans and I set up so many things. I was going to go for coffee with people who I barely knew but once met. I went, um, the one thing I did do is I went for a, a lunch with a guy who I'd never met before. He was just a friend of a friend and he was a comedian. And I said, oh, I'd love to, yeah, whatever. Um, and then I was going to go to this improv thing that I said I would have to cancel. I've been so busy with work in the last yeah. six months, like m- two months, that I've not had time to do the socialising I wanted to. But when I moved here, I immediately did set a lot of things up that I've had to cancel, but I will be doing them. And So what's your strategy, though, to make fresh friendships in a new city? Because this is, this is something that people do all the time, isn't it? They'll land in a new city and it's... Yeah, I mean, a, friend, so- a friend of mine's religious, so she just joins the church. That's dead easy. And she's she's automatically yeah, got friends, but for the secular ones. ones amongst us, it's quite difficult. What's your strategy? Uh, there's uh, three three things I'd say. Uh, thing number one is realise that making friends is part of your job, regardless of what you <laughs> think your job is. And once you really accept that, you treat it like work, and that is really important. Friends aren't going to just appear, you know? Like, work isn't just going to appear. Every success I've ever had in my entire life is down to other people. It's a simple fact. And that is definitely going to be true of you and everyone else. Because we're all just the sum of the people we meet. And the opportunities granted to us are because of the people who know us. So I look at it as the more people who know who I am and the more people I know, the more work I'm going to get, the more fun I'm going to have. Simple as that so making friends is your job in life right yeah. and if, if you don't do that you're just not going to have as good a time as other people like as long as you accept that that's fine but you're not going to have as good a time accepting that is strategy number one because then you're going to actually make an effort 
and the effort should involve doing things along the lines of yep i i completely think going out to events where uh, you'll meet people with similar interests i've started going to slimming world uh, cool. with uh, with my girlfriend um yeah she took me to that and that is a place that i never would have ever went of my own volition <laughs> i went it was very amusing and everyone <laughs> is really nice and no one is weird because everyone's so accepting of their own flaws which is a rare quality in people anyway yeah let alone people who go to a group because most people who go to groups tend to do so to avoid accepting their flaws you know um whereas whereas everyone was so nice so we made friends there like um there was an improv group that i wanted to go to um that uh, i set up um also as weird as it sounds i make a massive effort um i used to do this a lot more than i do now because now i don't need to do it as much but like if i'm out just getting a coffee somewhere with my laptop doing a bit of work and someone sitting next to me like and a conversation ensues because i'll make it ensue you know i'll i'll say yeah. hello and i'll make an effort and i'll i'll point out something or i'll ask them a question whatever it is you know and then you keep that ball rolling and then at the end of any social interaction you ever have and you're going to have some you'll have social interactions like um even if it's like with friends of friends or people get their details add them on facebook get their phone number add them on twitter whatever like make sure that after you've had any kind of interaction with anyone you can have it again so many yeah. times I, I meet people and they're like oh i chatted to this girl the other day and they didn't get their number or they didn't get their details and that's the end of it that's the end of that or yeah you know, oh yeah i made you know chat with this guy in a bus stop i'm like what was their name oh i don't know why like, like <laughs> you, just, you just wasted your fucking time there haven't you you've had a three-minute conversation which could have turned into a 10-year friendship and you don't know because you didn't find out their name you didn't get them on facebook yep. you know and at do you first, know why you i think that is so dave i i think on. people i think people get worried and I think this is the thing within friendships as well. I think we get worried about how, how close are we allowed to become to be here? You know, I've just met this guy at a bus stop. I've only chatted to him for three minutes, enjoyed it. And now I'm going to ask, like, what's your Facebook name? At what point is he going to go, whoa, that's a bit weird. We've only just had a three-minute conversation. So that's what would stop me. How do you get over that? Do you know what? If someone came up to me and had a three-minute conversation with me, and in that three minutes they seemed cool and nice and said to me, can I get you on Facebook? I'll say yes, almost certainly. What if someone came up to you and had a three-minute conversation with you and was really friendly, turned out you had slightly similar interests. Sorry. Wait there, someone's calling me. I'm just going to... It's okay. Put the phone down. Um, and then had really similar interests and said, hey, would you add me on Facebook? Or here's my name, find me on Facebook. Would you find them on Facebook? Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, probably would. I'd, I think I'd have a little bit of, of worry um, that they might have been coming on too quick too soon, but then again, I'm not going to see them again. So, but I think I would. I think maybe I'm projecting outwards what some of my own concerns would be. But I guess the worst anyone can say is no, anyway, isn't it? Exactly. Like you're creating your own problems by coming up with an if, and we've already agreed that <laughs> if is a useless piece of philosophy. What if they say this? What if they do that? What if they don't? What if they're a normal human being who, <laughs> like you, just had a convert? It's not like you think to yourself, oh, I am the only... Right, here's something, actually. This is a big one for me. Generally speaking, I find that most insecurities come out of your own ego. You think, oh, my God, what does the world think of me? I'll give you a clue. The world doesn't give a shit about you. If you walk down the street and think, oh, my God, I'm wearing this jumper and I look fucking stupid... 
No one gives a shit. No one takes any time out of their day to look at you and go, that person looks weird. They couldn't give a toss because they're bothered about their own personal insecurities, about worrying what everyone else thinks of them. So if you have a three-minute conversation with someone, I guarantee... It's so true. I guarantee that the person opposite you is thinking the same thing as you. (laughs) They're thinking, oh, I hope this person doesn't think I'm a fucking weirdo. You know... I learned this for real. I learned this for real because I had a bad back one time and I'd been booked onto onto a weekend clowning course in Liverpool. I really wanted to do it. I'd never done anything like that before. Not circus clowning, theatrical clowning. But my back was completely done in and I couldn't even put pants on properly. That's how bad it was, but I didn't want to miss out. And so... What I actually did, I had to go out in, like, in the house, I tend to wear lounge pants. First thing I do when I come in, I take my outside pants off, and I put lounge pants on, which are like big pyjamas, but with no fly. And they've got pockets in. So that's what I tend to wear inside the house. Now, I was wearing, they look ridiculous. So I was wearing this in the outside world. Um, and I really expected everybody to to be looking at me and paying me attention. And I even went out for lunch in the middle of town and it was completely chocker. It was a Saturday afternoon and nobody even glanced. Yep, no one gives a shit. I was, I... I was even getting on a bus where people will look and I was thinking to myself, you're a chef, you're a chef. This is my self-talk. You're just a chef, you're wearing mad pants. And that's how I was getting through it, but nobody cared. And it's something my yeah, always used to it's say. It's amazing, isn't it? My nan always used to say, no one's going to get off a galloping horse to look at you. I like that. That was one of her phrases. That's a really good... I like that a lot. (laughs) That's exactly it. Me and and Ed Croft um, and uh, and a few of us around us, we intentionally started going out wearing ridiculous stuff (laughs) um, to push ourselves. Because to to realise, like, I remember once I had my grandma, because I asked her to, because she's amazing... Yeah. Uh, sewed this t-shirt which I made out of two other t-shirts would had these sleeves that looked like sort of like like almost like medieval the sleeves were like a foot long <laughs> down it was ridiculous it looked stupid and I thought I'm going to wear this top to the train station today because <laughs> meeting Eddie's about to meet me outside my house and I'm yeah. going to look ridiculous and I'm not going to care even though I'm a little bit self-conscious about wearing this I'm going to force myself to do it because I'm going to teach myself that it doesn't matter and I opened the door and Ed Croft had opened that door wearing, and I shit you not, a bedsheet. He had his boxes <laughs> and he had a bedsheet wrapped around him. He'd walked all the way to my house on his own with this, and he'd safety pinned it. And I said, that's cool. And he said, thanks, dude. And we walked to the train station. And sure, a couple of people looked. That was particularly crazy. But no one give a shit. No one said yeah, anything. Yeah. And do you know what he acted like? He acted confident as fuck. He just walked down. He didn't care because <laughs> that no one else cared. And everyone who looked didn't care. Like, if you're walking down the street wearing a bedsheet and you don't care, you've succeeded because there is no higher value than anyone going, here's who I am. Yeah. Like, yeah. He probably so had right. more chance of making friends and getting a job and making, like, finding a romantic partner wearing that bedsheet than he did wearing anything else. Why? Because if, after five minutes of conversation with someone he's not met before, he convinces them, or he comes across as just cool, relaxed, and not caring, wearing a bedsheet, that dude's invulnerable. Like, what are you... What could you say to that person to piss them off? Nothing. You are valuable, you know? So that's it. Well, it's exactly the same as when I'm on stage as a musician, you know, because when I'm on stage as a musician, if I play a bum note... 
and and I'm self-conscious about it and I twist my face and let the audience know that's a bum note but you know if I just carry on as though that was exactly what I wanted to do that's jazz exactly exactly <laughs> oh my god um yeah no you're you're so right that's beautifully put if you just believe in yourself and come across as that confident person then people go with you you know what i mean you play yeah. a bum note it only matters if you tell everyone you made a mistake because exactly no one right. else noticed you know yeah well how can people find out more about you then dave because I'm, I'm conscious that we've i mean we've been talking for like an hour and 10 minutes and I, you know what i've had a smile on my face the entire time we've had a conversation <laughs> so i've absolutely loved it so how, how can people find out more about you like I mean, add me on Twitter. Like that, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, Where can they find uh, you online? Uh, yeah, I mean, davidannick.com. Honestly, adding me on Twitter or Facebook is the best way. Dave Anik. You can always put links in the description for this uh, podcast. That'd be lovely. Yeah. Um, if you're so kind. Um, like, uh, I wrote a book um, that's going to be available on my website soon. And it teaches a few magic tricks. It teaches six magic tricks. It's called 666. Oh, and okay. it teaches six magic tricks Scary. that you can learn. And then it's got six sort of life lessons uh, to help you be more like Dave. No, six life lessons <laughs> that, um, while comedic, are actually sort of veiled things that we've been talking about. Yeah. And uh, opinions that I have. Um, and I think ways to sort of phrase it, you know? Not opinions that I You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and six reviews of burrito restaurants because I really, really like burritos. Okay. But um, uh, there's that. One day I really hope to write a book that's entirely about the stuff we've been talking about, you know? And, well, like, that'd be fantastic. He'd have one buyer from me for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I don't think it needs to be long. This is the thing. I, I don't want it to be a massive book. I really think most things can be described over the course of an article. I'd love it if it was like... yeah. 25 pages and that's all you needed to go right I, I get this a bit enough now to have a go if we want to look into it more you can but 25 pages is all you'd ever need to to really get this yeah yeah i think or that's indeed enough. An like hour a minute conversation yeah that's right because I, I often get books and it's like then i look and i'm interested in the idea and it says 350 pages and i'm like oh god just tell me <laughs> just tell me the answer <laughs> like but i got in an argument the other day with someone because i said you know what books are a waste of time and they completely justifiably <laughs> took umbrage at that statement but what i meant was the vast majority of the knowledge i have like comes from summaries and comes from articles because most information can be conveyed in a very short space of time and 90 percent of the time when someone writes a big book they want to fill up a lot of words that's obviously not yeah. always true but i really think the majority of the time it is so yeah read a load of articles you know and read like there's a great thing you can do if you ever want to read a book sell Self-help books are the best at this. Like Dale Carnegie, oh shit. Um, no, do you know what you said books earlier? Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, written in the 50s, as valid then uh, today as it was then. Have you ever read right. it? I haven't actually, but it's one read that keeps it. on God's coming up. No, you know what? Don't read it. Here's what you do. Google summary How to Win Friends and Influence People, and there'll be a summary online. Someone will have written five pages, which has pretty much summarized that. Um uh, works for a lot of self-help books but yeah brilliant brilliant principles um i'll end on that that's a really good way to end okay fantastic so it's been fantastic well it's been lovely having you having you on uh, i wish we'd had a conversation like this when we were both in the same city dave i've missed uh, out there's which, always which goes well that just proves the point doesn't it i you know i didn't make it my job to to really get to know you as well as i could have done when you were in liverpool so uh, my bad there 
But yeah. is there anything you want to finish on that we've not that we've not said so far? Um, I think I think uh, well, do you know what? Like in in like five sentences to recap everything, acknowledge that most of your own securities are a product of your own ego, and most people don't give a shit. All all <laughs> the only person that gives a shit and sh- should give a shit is you. Um, treat conversations like improvisation and read books about improv because it's the exact same thing. Understand that in order for people to find you attractive in any sense, you need to be valuable. So look at yourself and realize what's valuable. And there are so many things about you that, it, that are valuable. You know, qualities you have, interests you have, quantify them, write them down and work out how to get them across in such a short space of time that you could have in a conversation. And above all else, just you know, don't don't waste your time getting bogged down in things that make you sad. Don't identify yourself by sadness. Identify yourself by happy things. You know, and uh, the more you pretend something's true, the more it becomes true. There you go. That's... Hashtag deep. <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you know this is something I'm going to listen to over and over again? And um... <laughs> oh, don't do I... that. It'll drive you oh. mad. <laughs> But it's been fantastic, genuinely as It's been really lovely talking to you. I'm so glad you came on the show. It's a different interview than the one I expected, actually. I had something else mapped out. Um, kind of similar, but it went off on a, on a different, really, really enriching route. So thanks for yeah, everything, that's, Dave. That's, that's conversations for you, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's it. We were li- Well, the thing is, you see, we were doing exactly as you'd advised. We were listening to the last thing being said and, and ditched the plan. So I came in with a gift, but improv took over. Well said, well said. <laughs> So I'll see you soon, hopefully, um, one way or another. And uh, thanks very much for being on the show. Yeah, I'll be performing in Liverpool um, as part of my tour. And the poster for that's going to come out in the next week. So uh, see, I'll have to get you along, man. Yeah, I'll definitely come to that. Thanks again, Dave. Take care. So a massive thank you to Dave for a really inspirational interview. I'll definitely be applying his advice into my own life. And I really, really hope he writes that book. Now, to be in touch with Dave and to catch his fabulous live show, here's how to find him online. You can get him on davidannick.com, that's spelled A-L-N-W-I-C-K.com, and he's on Twitter as David Annick and Facebook too, with the same name, so easy enough to find. Now, if you enjoyed the show, and I'm sure that you did, don't keep it to yourself, please share the show and tell all your friends by sharing it on social media. And now would be a really great time to give us a juicy five-star review as well. Just head on over to iTunes, search for the Alan Parry podcast and leave us some love. Also, of course, you can make sure that you never miss an episode again simply by subscribing. And you can find all the details to do that as well as today's show notes over at alanparry.com. And of course, that's spelled A-L-U-N. And you'll also find all of my past shows and my blog writings too. Now this show goes out every other Tuesday, so make a note in your diary. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.